0: Welcome everyone, I am Tim Wade, your host, and this is the Safety Wire Podcast. It's a common phrase in safety that we need a hundred percent buy-in for the program to work properly. You know, I fully agree with that. However, there's one group that is by design responsible for promotion, support, and oversight of a well-run safety program, and that is the leadership that is involved in safety. Which brings me to my guest. Joining me today is someone I have had the pleasure of working alongside multiple times in the past. He is currently serving as president and CEO of the Akron Canton Airport. Mr. Ren Camacho, it is great to have you on,
1: sir. Good morning, Tim. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, so I want to do this in kind of two parts. I want to get to know you and the professional you are, and then dig into safety and how that uh, how that influences your daily operation at Akron Canton. So could you walk me through, how did you get into aviation? What led up to where you are today?
1: Sure. No, thanks for the question. Uh, so aviation's in my blood. Uh, my dad was a uh, city bus driver. I grew up in New York City. He drove buses there for many years. So I'd hop on the bus with him and uh, ride along. And, you know, just from a very early age, watching planes land and take off from LaGuardia, kind of his turnaround stop, if you will, was uh, on the uh, facing the East River. And uh, we would watch planes take off and land out of LaGuardia. So maybe in an indirect way that got me into aviation, but at least transportation uh, with the buses. Uh, fast forward to my uh, career and you know, getting into aviation, it really started with my background as a civil engineer. I studied at RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic, got my bachelor's there, and then my master's at uh, NYU Poly uh, a couple of years after that. And then right after, started my career with the New York Port Authority and worked there for 14 years, uh, 1993 through 2007. And obviously, one of the biggest uh, events uh, in that tenure was 9-11. So that event there, uh, I was. Uh, I, I look at the numbers, number of days that, that have existed since 9-11, which is I think today 7,826 days have gone by since 9-11. And I hold those sorts of numbers as each day passes because I should have been at the World Trade Center that day. Um, I had friends and colleagues who didn't make it. I had friends and colleagues who were there and made it out that day. You just didn't know where the, where the plane hit you know, with respect to our floor you know, we had a chance to, uh, or those employees, I should say, had a chance to evacuate, but you just didn't know if you were there that day uh, to be called back in to help. And some people did that, did not, uh, you know, did not survive the, the aftermath. So tragic event, but that also really propelled uh, to your question, propelled my wanting to make aviation safer. So wanting to look at aviation as this within, if, if you know the New York Port Authority, they operate in Uh, manage bridges, tunnels, the World Trade Center, obviously, pre and post 9-11, port facilities, and of course, the airports. And out of all those facilities, which I've had the the pleasure and distinct pleasure of working uh, for all those facilities in one way, shape, or form, I've had the the opportunity to work at uh, airports, primarily at JFK. So that sort of solidified uh, my tenure uh, and my career path, I should say, as far as aviation. So 9-11, my background as a civil engineer, my, you know, uh, adolescence and growing up uh, with a transportation-related dad and that sort of thing really got me into this career. And then, of course, coming to Cleveland, I moved to Northeast Ohio in 07 and uh, started as a design engineer. Worked my way up to be, basically be the capital construction uh, v- a vice president, for lack of a better term, the chief of planning and engineering at Cleveland Hopkins, and then. Uh, five years ago, uh, about four and a half years ago, I should say, I should state that I got the position here at, C- at CAK. So super happy to be here. Great team. And we have some exciting things in store.
0: What a uh, what an incredible story, my goodness. Um, you know, I think everyone has a where were you on 9-11 story um i know for me i'm uh I'm, I'm younger so mine was uh sitting in seventh grade home ec, but being in the aviation industry i have heard so many incredible stories of how that influenced them how that pushed them but for you to be right in the in the epicenter of it that is that is incredible so um you know it doesn't get said enough but uh as a veteran i i hear often you know thank you for your service but for you to be with uh with the port authority right right at ground zero um thank you for for what you had to go through. So um, I think that could be a whole conversation in itself is uh, discussing your stories uh, from from New York City and all you saw with the uh, PAPD. So that's incredible. Um, so currently you're serving as president and CEO, uh, which, uh, to me, that's a pretty intimidating title, uh, when, when you think of a normal business, but when you look at the integral parts of an airport, um, I think you and I discussed, it's, it's almost like you're a mayor, uh, uh for, for instance, you know, it's a small city that you're operating with, with a major transportation piece, but, you know, a small city nonetheless. Um, so. Your reach and leadership is needed in multiple directions. What do you think prepared you for your current role today?
1: So, Tim, you know, obviously that what I described regarding 9-11 really solidified um, my wanting, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and my mindset and my passion for aviation. Mm-hmm. So seeing what happened up close and obviously looking at uh, the aftermath and where I wanted to focus my career path, um, that, that was you know, that's one of those major issues, major, uh, you know, pathways, if you will, that propelled me into my career. And as far as the leadership and the city within a city concept to, to your point, you know, the, the, mayor of a city, right? We, we have everything a city would have. If you think about it from infrastructure to, you know, legal, to environmental, to all the other areas that a city may have, we have it within an airport environment, um, growing up in New York city, you know, spending time in Cleveland, uh, really getting mm-hmm. through for Cleveland, their, their Olympics was the Republican National Convention coming through mm-hmm. back in 2016. At least during my tenure there, and seeing that uh, that event come through and successfully, we had some projects we had to get complete that really, again, uh, elevated my my passion for for the profession, for aviation, and wanting to further, again, the the safety and you know day-to-day upkeep of, of what it takes to run a community asset like an airport. Uh, My background as a civil engineer, right, so looking at all the infrastructure, whether it's the terminal environment, the runway environment, uh, the land where people get dropped off, uh, signage, uh, how important signage and wayfinding is to the experience of a a passenger, whether they're a millennial or whether they're a baby boomer, you know, how important that is to to folks. And then just to to touch upon when I first started here at the end of 2018, uh, my predecessor, Rick McQueen, really had the foresight of introducing me to a lot of those key stakeholders uh, in the region from our employees, of course, some of our key tenants, uh, but also those uh, relationships that we forged with the the local chambers, uh, the tourism bureaus, uh, other economic development groups that really uh, set the stage, set the tone, uh, if you will, for for my my eventual uh, uh, stint here as, as as the CEO and being able to, again, forge those relationships and ensure that you know the airport is on a, a great path uh, moving forward. We, met, we were just on the, on the back end of a capital improvement program, a 10-year program, which culminated in the, uh, the new terminal uh, gate improvements mm-hmm. that you may have heard or read about, uh, where we added four new gates on the second level, all, all modernized gates now, all jet-bridged uh, gates, if you will. No longer do you have to be exposed to the elements. So it's just those little things. And still keeping that convenience of the parking lots, the car rental, uh, all of those, uh, the modern amenities to the airports right up close, right up front uh, for the passenger to experience, uh, you know, within minutes uh, is, is all that is what we're about and what we will continue to be about. That's
0: incredible. You know, it's... Um... A lot of people look at the direction of an airport to getting planes back up in the sky, but so much of it is focused around the customer experience. Once the plane takes off, the customer has gone, but they spend a few hours on the front end and the back end there for every single flight. So it's great how focused you are on that. Um, so things are booming for you guys these days you know I, I your social media team is on fire by the way and uh what i've noticed is it seems like you guys have truly bounced back from COVID. It seems like a new destination or flight is announced almost every week it seems you know how are things going for the airport currently and what's your horizon looking
1: like yeah thanks for the question uh, we get asked that question a lot you know we're a regional airport we know our place right in, in northeast ohio with cleveland up to the north and then you have pittsburgh and columbus Uh, airports, uh, not within a couple hours driving distance. So we know our place as the regional airport, our uh, premise for domestic commercial air service. And of course, we have GA and and we have some of those other uh, corporate operations Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, Knowing our stance, knowing our position, we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we're set uh, in a position to succeed. And the gate, the gate modernization project really right sizes us. For that success, we have a total of nine gates with the ability to expand quickly to eleven. So, if a new airline or an an incumbent airline wanted to expand service or introduce new service, we're prepared to do just that. Um, You know, with uh, you know traffic just in general, traffic has picked up uh, since COVID. uh, During COVID. uh, it was pretty interesting. I chuckle only because we were in the throes uh, of a major, major upheaval in our industry—not just C.A.K. but industry-wide. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're aware, uh, with uh, your work as well. And you know, there were days where we had more passenger, more flight crews going through the checkpoints than passengers. We went from 11 nonstops to four, and it, it, that happened almost overnight, practically overnight. So we just had to adjust quickly. Uh, We knew the type of traveler coming through was more of a leisure-based traveler. There was very little to no business travel, and that's sort of trickling its way back, at least for CAK. I know some of the other parts of the country are are seeing uh, more rapid growth as far as business travel goes. Um, And, you know, just making sure that we maintain the dialogue with our airline partners, making sure that we continue to reach out to them, whether it's through our great marketing team, our air service development team, um, so that, you know, we in- ensure that we continue to establish and reestablish air service as a priority and making sure that that airport travel experience continues to be seamless. So uh, we think the horizon is definitely positive. There's more air service announcements that are coming. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. tight lipped and, and that sort of thing. I can't speak about that. And then ultimately, you know, we really need business travel to come back. You know, the projections are early 2024. uh, that that's the sort of time frame, the crystal ball. At least industry experts have uh, have been mentioning, and it might be 25. But uh, if we get it even sooner than early 2024, we, we'd be ecstatic. Because that's really the segment of the population we're missing to get those guys in jackets and jeans coming through the airports <laughs> to uh, get on planes and, and go somewhere. And you know we're at a, we're at 16 nonstops now, looking to grow. Uh, just while this podcast is being recorded. Uh, we just uh, had one more announcement Breeze Airways announcing Norfolk. So I can make that public. So CAK to Norfolk is starting uh, pretty soon here, and probably in the summer months. And that'll likely last through the rest of the year, and dependent on demand, uh, may go into 2024. So we're super excited about those sorts of opportunities.
0: Well, you heard it here first. If you have some Virginia Beach travel coming up, uh, or your uh, son or daughter's graduating from Fort Eustis, like I did, uh, that's a that's a great destination for you guys. Um, you know, you had mentioned how much it slowed down during COVID, and it didn't hit me uh, how the industry was doing till probably late March, early April, when you know I work out of Hopkins, and I drove around Perimeter Road, and it was just packed with parked airplanes everywhere, as far as the I could see, tail to tail. Uh, and that's when I knew, okay, this is this is pretty serious. We're starting to park all these jets. So I'm, I'm glad everyone seems to be rebounding. I know business travel is uh, I'm starting to travel a lot more for my position as well. So uh, I hope that picks up for you guys. Um, let's let's dig down into, into safety here. You know, I asked this question of all my guests you know, because everyone has a different story and perspective, and you obviously have a, a an incredible history, especially with your stories coming from 9-11 and in, in New York as well. How have you seen the safety culture of aviation change during your time in this industry? You know, and if I could broaden that out just a little bit more, I normally wouldn't. I usually stick this uh, with, just with safety, but I want to broaden this out into security as well. Given your position, your history, how have you seen aviation safety and security evolve over the years?
1: Yeah, for, for me, Tim, you know, it's, it's definitely evolved uh, with with that very focus, uh, more on safety, more on security. Uh, the TSA, for example, there's a lot more that they talk about with the insider threat issue. Um, mm-hmm. it, there's actually some legislation, some proposed legislation that's out there now with respect to TSA, uh, that or Department of Homeland Security, I guess, is a, a better uh, organization to use that mm-hmm. um, you know would basically have uh, provide ensure that those employees, airport employees are screened uh, that much more attentively for lack of a better term. And mm-hmm. basically all the entry and exit portals uh, into the secure area of the airport uh, are in essence solidified from that perspective. So that's coming. Uh, you have your typical, you know, part 139 requirements uh, for the airport, right? The, the runway environment, uh, we have that annual uh, certification, that uh, certification officer that comes out. Uh, from the regional office, and they continue to um, work with us there. Um, that Not not much has changed there. there. There's a little bit more emphasis on uh, training records and that sort of thing that we've noticed over the last few years. So we've definitely been uh, harping our, our guys, and they do a great job. Uh, we've had no no records or findings, if you will, and they do a fantastic job of their record keeping. But we've just noticed that little extra dotting of the I, crossing of the T that mm-hmm. the certification officer will... will a pinpoint, maybe a section of pavement that maybe in years past they would, because it's not a highly traveled location, they may have kind of glossed over. It, but now they're actually pointing and saying, yeah, you need to address that as part of your AIP or perhaps the bipartisan infrastructure law, the bill legislation that was passed. Um, and speaking of bill, you know, we had the 20 billion dollars that was passed for airports, which is a nice down payment, I like to say. And, and I think industry organizations will, will say the same thing. And it's a, it's a nice win for the airports. It is a down payment because you, you talk to, you, or not talk to, but you hear from the industry experts, the organizations like AAA and ACI, that airports across the nation lead, need about 115 billion, with the B as in Boy or Bravo, <laughs> airport term, uh, 15, 115 billion dollars over the next five years, just with infrastructure needs alone, uh, and that's you know not necessarily addressing you know tower relocations and, and those sorts of things, which we're right now. Uh, looking at as well. We have, we'll have probably have one of the oldest, if not the oldest, air traffic control tower in the country. So that's a need for us as well. So looking at what that really means, um, there's been a huge focus from the FAA on runway incursion mitigations, a lot of mm-hmm. focus on, you know, uh, uh, runways and taxiway intersections and making sure those alignments are more than 90 degrees, that a pilot needs to make at least two turns before uh, entering the runway environment. And we were actually, we have two hotspot projects we're working on now to address safety uh, concerns, not that they've been issues, but just concerns, potential mm-hmm. concerns down the road with respect to airfield geometry. And some of our pavements are within uh, ILS areas, if you will. So for example, so that those are some of the things that we're addressing. So we see that, we see that from the TSA, as I talked about with uh, beyond their traditional screening requirements, you know, making sure that guns and drugs through checkpoints, and again, not, not too big of an issue here, hardly at all. Uh, but the, the insider threat, I think, is something that um, we've been seeing more and more. And then lastly, I would say on the environmental side, Tim, uh, been a, there's been a huge emphasis on construction projects, any construction projects over an acre that you disturb, you basically have to notify the Ohio EPA uh, for that. Uh, They check obviously the stormwater pollution prevention. There's a plan you have to put in place that ties into water quality. They've also been paying closer attention to fueling, proper fueling of tankers that fuel the airplanes. Um, Obviously, OSHA is a a big concern with PPE going into confined spaces, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, Noise and air quality uh, comes into mind as well. And then Um, this whole uh, forever chemical PFAS issue. And I know Mm -hmm. the FAA is looking at uh, alternates to that forever chemical for firefighting needs. So those are some of those high level kind of overarching TSA, FAA environmental that we're seeing, at least I'm seeing uh, in my position here.
0: If only the common traveler knew all the uh, inner workings of where that little dollar fee and the dollar fifty actually goes to, I mean, there's a massive infrastructure supporting it. Um, And you touched on a lot of things that I see working throughout the industry. Um, You know, with MBAA, we we work with runway incursion programs all the time. I know NADA is doing uh, great initiatives with the legal charter. Um, And to see the initiatives you guys are taking really shows this is truly one of those industries where we can see the risks throughout the industry as a whole, not just at akron Kenton. you guys are not, you know, you don't have blinders on here. Um, you can, we all look at the industry as a whole and we look at the risks other people are facing and how we can um, start to drill that down and make improvements for our own areas.
1: If, um, I, may, if I may, Tim, yeah. you talking about risk, right, and safety uh, and what we've seen that's been different. So obviously we've just gone through at least our continuing on the back end, we hope, if not this finality of a pandemic and what we've had to do to really react and pivot uh, to adjust to an environment that remained open, by the way, during uh, COVID, during the pandemic, allowing our construction, our gate modernization to continue. But while that was happening, all of those construction workers, all of our employees, all of our tenants, uh, administrative staff, myself included, had to adjust to wearing masks every day, You know, socially distance, uh, the Purell sanitizers everywhere. Uh, providing uh, what we call nanoseptic devices so if your hand or hands or fingers touch uh, escalator railings or elevator buttons it's basically self-cleansing uh, so those are uh, things that we've implemented and we've submitted those actually to ACINA Airports Council International and received a health accreditation award and we were the first in the state of Ohio to receive that recognition so we're super proud of the custodial wow. and building maintenance teams to get us through COVID. So that's that's kind of an aside. You know, you kind of had to do that, and we went all in uh, to make sure that uh, the traveling public, of course, construction workers, employees, tenants, uh, all entered a safe environment and continued to do so. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's one thing to address a risk um, at the base level, but to take it and continuously improve upon it and be proactive with it. Like you guys said, you know, congratulations on that award. Um, Most people probably don't even know that there are awards like that. But the fact that you guys are striving to improve your organization on that level, that's incredible. You know, I know it was really difficult for a lot of us in aviation, especially those of us in the health and safety field. Uh, Because we had to look at it from two perspectives. I'm sure you did as well. You know, uh, what was sustainable and best for the business? What's sustainable and best for the employees? And a lot of times it was difficult um, to separate those two because they come together very well. If we don't sustain the business properly, our employees don't get a paycheck. If we don't sustain our employees and uh, focus on their health properly, then there's no business for, for them to operate in. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a difficult time to try to be proactive and to make the best judgment calls uh, for health and safety for both the business uh, and the employees. So uh, definitely kudos to you guys for, for how, um, how in tune you guys were with those programs. So with every business and, and airline that operates at the airport having their own safety programs, can you walk me through how they work together and what does the safety structure of an airport really look like with all those different interactive pieces?
1: So it it starts, Tim, with uh, the safety as a core value, and we actually have our core values on our walls, whether it's our conference rooms, our break rooms, and safety is at the top, uh, along with accountability, integrity, respect, and growth. And growth could be innovation. Growth could be personal growth, professional growth. So we have those as core values, and safety is at the very top of that um obviously beyond the employee they're our most prized asset it's not the not the pavement out there it's our employees they're our most prized assets so to your point about ensuring that the employee has the tools the resources they need you know whether it's the simple things like PPE or making sure that you know someone's able to cover a shift for someone else during you know winter operations and that sort of thing and they have plenty of sleep plenty of rest to to make that happen all those little things really add up to ensuring that the employee uh, knows that we as a as an organization care about them, because they, again, they yeah. are our most prized asset. Um, our VPs, our vice presidents, and we have vice presidents in kind of like a city, like I, I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, uh, VP of HR, VP of, of uh, air service and business development and uh, operations, so on and so forth. So in this case, the, the VP, all get together. Uh, and conduct uh, safety meetings. And they do that in their independent groups, primarily in the areas of uh, building maintenance, custodial and field maintenance, which is also operations. So they have weekly talks uh, and sometimes they become daily conversations, especially this time during the winter, uh, where they need to make sure that the communications and you know what the, the goings on of the day are, are first and foremost. And if there's coordination with their traffic, there's coordination with the FAA tech ops, for example, that those are all happening. Uh, if, if there's always, if there's, uh, an event, uh, an incident, I should say, heaven forbid, you know, an aircraft, uh, steers off a runway and we need to address, uh, those issues. You know, we make sure that, uh, to your question about the tenants, that they're obviously informed, they're kept in the loop, uh, about what's going on. We do have monthly tenant meetings. We also, if we need to inform them either weekly or biweekly, we bring them in, uh, as well, uh, communication, I, I can't, uh, understate or overstate communication. It it, it really needs to be at the top of everyone's mind and whether it's picking up the phone, texting, you know, just face-to-face meetings, podcasts, just any form of communication that will improve a situation in the case of an incident, uh, beyond informing our tenants and our employees getting involved. You know, we have uh, mutual aid agreements, uh, with, uh, local agencies, whether it's the city of green Jackson township. Uh, Summit in Stark County, emergency management uh, groups, agencies, the EMAs, they come out. Uh, If there is an incident, we set up command centers and that sort of thing. But it really is to keep everyone in the loop. And again, I can't understate or overstate again the the (laughs) aspect of communication. Um, The TSA, I meet quarterly with the TSA uh, here just to kind of go through Mm -hmm. regulatory and operational issues. We share a lot of information, some SSI, some, you know, just... These are things that are happening that might impact the the checkpoint sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, community events where they may think they uh, want to have some involvement, and they they're great partners. Uh, we hear all the time that passengers going through the checkpoint have we have the friendliest TSA staff uh, everywhere of anywhere. So we're super proud of of their you know their interactions and the the partnership that we have with them. And then lastly, as far as the tenants go and and that interaction, I would just say that we hold monthly, not monthly, uh, biannual RSAT meetings, Runway Safety Action Team meetings. The FAA holds those. They're required to. So everyone comes out to those, obviously airport staff, the tenants, Mm -hmm. airlines, uh, corporate hangar uh, folks as well, just to ensure that they're all listening to Potential concerns and considerations, and obviously fielding questions and commentary and input, uh, even more so. You know, those are the folks using those facilities every day—runways and taxiways. What better way to garner input and get some great recommendations and feedback than from the users? So that that's important as well, and that's again something that we share with our tenants
0: it's incredible how many gears come together to make this operation run smoothly, you know, and it's obvious based on your responses, how well Akron Canton uh, is doing under your leadership. Uh, It looks like there's an incredible future for this airport. And I'm, I'm very happy and and honored that you've shared that with me today. So, uh, you know, I cannot thank you enough for being on this podcast, Ren. It has been, you know, an an absolute pleasure. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your insight. And I think this is going to be very eye opening for people who just, you know, have questions and don't understand exactly the integral inner workings of of an actual airport. So Ren, thank you so much for being on the episode today.
1: No, thank you, Tim. And I'd like to end the the podcast, if I may, by, um, you know, asking the question, uh, who do you think owns the Akron Canton airport? And I'm going to pause for a second. Well, people can ponder about that. Do you know, happen to know Tim, who owns the Akron Canton airport?
0: I do know, uh, or correct me if I'm wrong. It's not a city owned airport. You guys are owned by a board of governors?
1: Okay. Uh, not quite. So okay. we are. We report to a board of trustees. Uh, but nonetheless, we are a political subdivision of the state of Ohio. So technically speaking, you as a taxpayer own the Akron Canton Airport. So those listeners that reside in the state of Ohio that pay their taxes technically own the airport. So again, the, the true definition of a community asset couldn't be any more real or, or prevalent than, you know, who we are uh, to the community as, as your regional airport. So I just wanted to end with that. You own, you as the taxpayer own the Akron Canton Airport. We're here to service you. Uh, we ask that you check us out. We're adding new air service. We just announced Norfolk today uh, to and from on Breeze Airways, which by the way is a great airline as are uh, the other carriers here, Allegiant United and American. They all do a great job to, Uh, get us to where we want to go and we'll we'll continue to grow so appreciate the time tim
0: no i i I love it you guys have a great community that you guys are serving so uh thank you uh once again for your insight on that one it was definitely educational for me i I loved hearing from you so uh, uh thank you everybody for listening and that will do it for this episode of the safety wire podcast